Hey moms, welcome to the Gather Moms podcast. My name is Kate. And I'm Rebecca. We've created this space just for you because we're both moms and we get you. Yes, we believe there truly ain't no hood like the motherhood and we need to be in this together. We also believe we can't mom well without Jesus. So you're going to hear us talk about him too. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gather Moms and make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. All right, mamas, let's jump Mamas, welcome to this episode of the Gather Moms podcast. This week we have Enneagram expert Christina Wilcox sharing all the Enneagram info with us and especially how we take care of ourselves based on our Enneagram type. But some of you may not know about the Enneagram or what all the numbers mean. (laughs) So we want to give you a super quick overview with info that we got from Christina's book, Take Care of Your Type, an Enneagram Guide to Self-Care. The Enneagram has gotten so popular over the last few years, but has actually been around for a really long time, potentially used centuries ago by monks for purposeful self-reflection under the guide of a mentor. There are nine Enneagram types, and everyone has a little bit of each type in them, but there is one type that is dominant over the rest, and that's your type. So let's run through the types with a very broad brush to give a general understanding. So type 1 is the idealist and can be characterized by having high standards and a strong drive to be good. Type 2 is the helper. This person is giving and wants to be wanted. Type 3 is the achiever and goal-oriented, high-achieving, and their image is very important to them. Type 4 is the individualist, a creative who loves to be distinct in their identity. Type 5 is the observer, potentially labeled the quiet one. This person is self-reliant and wants to be useful. Type 6 is the loyalist, who likes to know what the future holds and loves to belong. Type 7 is the enthusiast and the fun one who loves to be free and happy. Type 8 is the challenger. This person may be strong-willed and seek to defend themselves and others. Type 9 is the peacemaker who dislikes conflict and may struggle to assert their own feelings for the sake of peace. Okay, woo, that's all nine. (laughs) We won't even get into the wings yet, y'all, but we will discuss that some in the episode. But that's your little overview of what the Enneagram is all about as we dive into this conversation with Christina all about the Enneagram. Hey, Christina. Hey, how are you guys? I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy that you are here, and we are old-time friends from way back in the day. You're making us sound like we're 80. Well, excuse (laughs) me. It's been a minute. Not that long. It has been a minute. How? Okay, so we met when we went to the same church. Yes. So how long ago was that? Like, how long have you, because you live in Colorado now, right? We're we're so envious over your sweater. (laughs) Yes. So I have been living in Colorado for three years. Exactly. Okay. But so not that long, but I think the amount of time when we were probably actively in ministry together might've been a little bit longer ago. Yeah. Okay. And then the two of you cuties got married and decided to go Mm -hmm. off on a wild adventure together to Colorado. What, What took you to Colorado? Yeah, there's a lot. We both, even before, I mean, we knew each other individually, we always had kind of dreamt of like living somewhere else or trying out a different environment. So 
whenever we started dating and we're talking about the future, we both kind of were on the same page about wanting to move somewhere else and try somewhere new. Um, so it kind of was like a matter of time and the right opportunity to go. And um, it just ended up kind of working out. There was a lot of different things going on in our lives that led to just a need for like a blank slate. Mm. And so we left and right, I mean, literally right before the pandemic happened, really. So we got here and I started like a full-time tech job where I didn't do tech stuff, but I was like working at a tech company. And then I got laid off almost immediately because of COVID. So it definitely was like a our adventure started off very quickly, yeah. um, but, but what a we place love to it be here. Pan- pandemic in Colorado yeah, because you that's what we thought too. Mountain. Because yeah. I mean that's yes, awesome, one hundred percent. Yeah, we at first it was obviously a bummer because at the time when it was first going on, I mean it was terrifying. We all remember how terrifying it was, and but then when we started really thinking about it, we were like we wouldn't be able to see anyone anyway. Yeah. So we might as well like be here where in, in God's our country we can see the mountains. That's yes. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's been so cool to keep up with you and then watch your Enneagram account grow <laughs> up. Um, you know, yeah. I have always been interested in the Enneagram. I'm so glad that that's what we're talking about here today is help with the mm-hmm. Enneagram. Um, Rebecca has always been on the fence about the Enneagram. We're going to dive into that in a minute. I'm an, I'm an unbeliever, Christina. I'm an unbeliever. <laughs> it's okay. That's we didn't totally have the okay. Enneagram in the bubble. Yeah. Rebecca grew up mm. in the bubble. We reference that a lot on the podcast. She <laughs> was very sheltered. Um, but it's just been really cool to, to watch you and see your cool graphics and all the things you designed. <laughs> when did you start your Enneagram account and, and doing all of that? That This account was my personal Instagram account. Okay. So I started just posting. When did I start posting? I think it was February of 2019. Because Enneagram and Coffee, I don't know if you remember when she first like yeah. took over Instagram. I do. I I had like not really privately because I feel like most people in my close vicinity knew that I really loved the Enneagram and loved talking about it. I was definitely that cringy person at the beginning. Um and when she went viral, I was like, oh my gosh, wait, people talk about this online. That's so cool. Like it just never clicked in my head that you could post about the Enneagram. I was like, why? Wow, that's awesome. And so I started posting on my personal account in February with literally no strategy. I cannot (laughs) emphasize this enough. I had no strategy, no goal, no plan. I just was putting stuff out there. And in eight weeks, I had 30,000 followers. Bananas. Like absolutely bananas. Um, Absolutely. It doesn't make sense. It's funny because I feel like I've gotten approached by a bunch of people like, what's your marketing hack? Like, what's your secret? And I was like, I don't have one. Like, I don't know what happened. It just happened. Obviously, I do think the Lord had a hand in like what was happening because it provided a lot of hope in my life with other things I was going through personally. And so Um, by the end of 2019, I had a hundred thousand followers and a book contract in my <laughs> inbox. So it just spiraled out of control. Yeah. That's crazy. Just crazy. Yeah, crazy. But it crazy. Was, it's been really fun to watch and you've done such <laughs> a beautiful job, Christina, of just 
navigating authenticity um, on such a public platform and also protecting yourself and being authentic about that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just been really beautiful to watch you navigate that so well. In a world of filtered influencers, you Mm -hmm. are really carving out a beautiful space where people Mm -hmm. feel safe and loved and known. And man, it's just a really cool thing to watch. I'm really proud of you and and the work that you've done. That is so kind. I definitely, once it all kind of happened, it became very clear to me that I would have a choice of how I approached it and how my persona would be online. And really the motivation once I had a platform was really thinking about who did I need when I was a part, like a young kid scrolling on, I mean, at the time it was probably Facebook more than Instagram, but like what would have I needed, like what type of honesty, what type of authenticity would I have needed to like get through things I was going through behind the scenes. And that's always been the main focus of why sometimes I probably even overshare in some cases. And that's a whole other thing, but I, that really means a lot to me. And I appreciate that so much. Well, sure. That's beautiful. So let's talk a little bit about the Enneagram. We're going to talk about your book mm-hmm. and taking mm-hmm. care of your type because I really feel like you have kind of struck at your own lane in this whole Enneagram conversation, which I think is really cool. But tell us, you know, you kind of referenced that you really got into the Enneagram. What what sparked your interest? What got you going there? Where did it come from? I just, I feel like it just dropped <laughs> okay, from wait, the sky. Okay, wait, let me say something. Let me say something. Christina, your introduction in your book about where the Enneagram came from mm-hmm. is the simplest, easy to understand explanation of the Enneagram I have ever heard. Oh, wow. Thank you. Seriously. I really That's feel great. like you like boiled it down and you make it very, your language in this book and just kind of how you've explained the whole thing is very like easy, natural. It's not, you know, you're just not overdoing it and overthinking it. And, and I really appreciate that. But for Rebecca, who clearly read the prologue, but just needs an update, maybe no, we can answer good. that question. I just don't think everybody out there knows the Enneagram. I don't think that they're sure. on that train. I'm definitely, oh, yeah. I'm definitely the caboose. Like I might just be jumping onto the caboose as we're entering <laughs> this podcast, but I just don't think everybody does. So that's why I'm fascinated by like, where in the world did this drop from the sky? Yeah, Especially for those of for us sure. that have not been around it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'll start with a brief explanation of what the Enneagram is. And then I'll answer your question, Kate, about how I got into it. But I, the Enneagram is assumed to be the oldest personality typing tool that exists. There's many groups that have tried to like take ownership of its origins, which I feel like online you see a lot of debate with everyone on all different sides of like, is this witchcraft? Is this this? Is this this? Um, And there's a lot of groups that have like tried to take ownership of like where the typing tool have tried to assign it like a moral hierarchy. But at the end of the day, the most solid findings of where the Enneagram came from is with monastic roots. So it used to be a system that monks would use with like, I don't know what a, a new monk, a <laughs> mentee monk. A I don't know monk. what that is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a mini monk. That's okay. perfect. Um, <laughs> um, that 
elder monks would use with many monks to work through spiritual disciplines, heal childhood wounds. And it used to be a very sacred and private thing. Only your mentor and you would know your Enneagram type because that's how deep the findings and insights that came up usually were. Obviously with the memification of everything, the Enneagram is definitely super different now. And it has taken on a whole new light, but I definitely, how I approach the Enneagram is obviously I want to have fun with it and also keep it light in some cases, but I do try and stay true to those original roots of how I, I really think in the time that I've been posting about it and sharing resources about it, I've seen it be the first step and gateway tool for people before they go to therapy. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. It's like, it's a very approachable, non-judgmental way to look at yourself authentically that usually you would even do like with a therapist, but it's just a way to work through things on your own and often the things that you find. I mean, even for me, like I sought out therapy after some of the things I was discovering because of my true core desires and fears, et cetera. Um, so that's like a brief overview that's of so what good. the Enneagram was and then what it is now. I got into it because I, there's a worship leader that I worked with for a long time that you guys probably remember. And he was very into the Enneagram and he had me take the test one time in the green room and I got a four and was so insulted by the Enneagram. <laughs> I have felt um, that. I have felt insulted by the Enneagram. Okay. That's a normal yes. feeling. Yes. Because I will say, so usually when you find your type, you feel perhaps more like exposed or violated than insulted. And for me, I was like, this is how people see me. Like it was my worst nightmare. Like it was not, I'm not a four, but the fact that like, and so there's nothing wrong you, with the test lied to you? like, well, what I learned is that I have a tendency to adjust my image to what I want people to see, which is a whole other conversation, even within the Enneagram. So I noticed that my Enneagram type would change based on who I was around, like the majority number in the situation. Um, so at first when I found out I was a four, I was like, wait, what? Like, that's not, that's not me at all. How could this be true? And so I like shunned it for a really long time. And then I randomly picked it up again one day because I started to see like relationships in my life um, grow healthier because they were using the Enneagram. And that was really fascinating to me. And so then I just did a really deep dive from a relational perspective of how it could improve understanding in relationships. Okay. And that kind of is what got me on the whole Enneagram train is I would see I loved seeing people in my life understand each other in a way that they hadn't previously and then see the fruit of that in their life if they chose to like take it seriously. Um, so that's what really sold me on what it could provide for individuals and relationships. But I also have had definitely a 
roller coaster journey to get fully on the train. So, so relationally, it reminds me a little bit of like the five love languages, right? Yeah, for sure. In the sense mm-hmm. where you understand, like, oh, this is how they give and receive love, right? Just being able to understand, it. and then it improves your relationship so much because you stop trying to do it your way and understand how they think. And this is just another tool to do that, you know, to understand. And so I think it's great for us to think about as moms, not only as we understand ourselves, but then also as we understand and care for our children, our spouses, Mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. So I think it's a great conversation to have. It just, I struggle with it a little bit, even as you were saying that about our kids. I feel like it's putting me about, putting me in a box, Christina. Okay, so she doesn't like it. She feels like it puts her in a box Mm -hmm. and she's resisted it. I'm resisting it. (laughs) Well, I will say personality tests do kind of put you in a box. There's no, like, there is never going to be a personality test that encompasses the full human experience. And I think especially when it comes to, like, children, the research I've done is when, obviously, there's, like, a golden rule in the Enneagram of not typing other people because you don't actually sorry. the whole point of the end I'm so sorry Rebecca That's for years what everybody does everybody I've been telling her she's a seven know. and she hates it I she's know. like I'm not a seven yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and that's the thing it's like I mean obviously I'm saying that and I've done it too but the purpose of having that rule is so yes someone's behavior might be presenting itself in a specific way but their motivation behind that behavior could be completely different than oh they have seven behavior but are they motivated motivated by what a seven is motivated by and I've heard with kids um, that obviously you don't want to type your kids but there's a way you can kind of figure out perhaps like what's because there's different stances in the Enneagram I'm getting very nitty-gritty with it it might be too quick too fast but there's like a future oriented stance, a present oriented stance and a past oriented okay. stance where there's three numbers in each of those groups. Okay. Wow. And the recommendation has been rather than trying to find your kid's number, try and find their stance so that you can at least understand how they're viewing reality. Are they always looking towards the future? Are they caught up in what's happening in the present or are they more nostalgic and always looking to the past? And that can be a clue in helping guide their personality and parenting without being like, my kid's an eight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, <laughs> but they're five. <laughs> that begs the question, what you're, is, is what you're saying that um, they might present as an eight in their teen years, but really they're a three and I'm just picking numbers, but the idea mm-hmm. that does someone stay the same number their whole life or is there movement? I, so they're, Within the Enneagram system, there is movement because you have your dominant number, but you also have numbers that you gravitate towards and like stress and growth. Mm -hmm. And so each number kind of has three numbers that you're circling through plus the wings. So it, it does give you a lot of room to expand. But I also think one that it's really important to wait to take the Enneagram when you're young until you're like older, I think even like 18, early twenties, because then you have a better understanding of who you are and could actually like apply, not that you couldn't apply them at 15, but you're not going to be the same person at 15 that you were, that you are going to be in your twenties. And I think too, there's a lot of people that argue, regardless of what happens in your life, that you remain the same Enneagram number, no matter what. And this is more of my 
hot take. I don't necessarily think you can change Enneagram numbers, but I do believe that if you go through a traumatic event, trauma is known to change the literal brain chemistry, your neural pathways. I do think it is possible to identify with a different number if you've gone through extended trauma or a traumatic event, for sure. That's fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so I'm really good. I know one, two, and three, and I know seven, eight, and nine. Four, five, and six, I'm kind of like, I don't know. Six is the the worst-case scenario person, the prepper, the anxious. The loyalist, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like the loyalist. You said worst-case scenario. That one, I was drawn to that one. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I just don't identify with it. No, they think in worst-case scenarios usually. Like, they have a struggle with ruminating on (laughs) worst-case scenarios. Let me tell you why I've always thought Rebecca is a seven is because, Mm -hmm. and by the way, she says the enthusiast. It's the enthusiast. Tomato, tomato. She is is always, uh, here's what got it for me. One day we were talking about our days and she said, I just got to the end of my day and I was like, I didn't do anything fun today. And that got me so tickled because I was like, I have never said that in my life. Like I've never thought about, I didn't do anything fun. I think about when I get into bed at night, I'm like, how many things did I do today? Like in order for me to be able to sleep, I need to know like I made, I did some things that made an impact. I don't need an impact. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's always about fun. She brings the cowbell to the football game. She's the loudest cheerleader. Um, but really in reading this, she identifies more as a two, as the helper Mm-hmm. And so I can actually see that now realizing that really maybe her motivation is out of wanting to help others and make them feel good. And, and so she brings mm-hmm. that energy to the table. Well, and what yeah. you just said about how when you you sometimes portray yourself as what you think is needed in that situation, uh-huh. maybe mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. this situation needs more fun, uh-huh. so I'm going to be the enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> She's the one, literally, yes. Christina, this is the other reason, because we're in meetings, and sometimes we're in meetings where it's like we're having a serious conversation, we're brainstorming something, or something's gone wrong, and we're meeting with, like, serious leadership people or something, and we're all having a real serious conversation, Rebecca's like, throws in some random off-the-wall joke, and I'm like, dog, this is not appropriate. <laughs> I'm just trying to lighten it up. You know, I, I, I really do relate to you, Rebecca. I have a tendency sometimes to do the same thing when I'm very uncomfortable. Are you a two? What are laugh. you? Are you going to tell us what you are? Yes, I actually, so this is kind of fun. I'm actually getting typed live with Beth McCord from your Enneagram coach, which is so cool. Whoa. Because I, I, so my, I think at this point that I'm a six wing seven, that is my guess for myself. I've done a lot of inner work to come to that conclusion, but I could also be totally wrong. So I am, I decided to, we, we thought it'd be fun to do like a live typing session. And so as of right now, I think I'm a six week seven. Okay. Um, and so I had always thought of myself as a one because I have Mm -hmm. a lot of perfectionist tendencies. Um, and, but then other people around me would say, no, you're a three. You're definitely a three. Mm. I think what I've come to learn is it would be so interesting for someone that was really an expert to really tell me, but I think, I think I lean toward more being a three with potentially like a two mm-hmm. wing 
And I think that the reason my perfectionism and every, everything, you know, being just so and orderly is more really the motivation there is about image. I want mm. others to think I'm good. I want them to think I have things in mm. order. I want, right. Yeah. It's not necessarily yeah. about when things are orderly that it, it does help me have peace. Like when things are comfortable, like when I, I feel more comfortable, right. When the house is clean yeah. and we have a calendar, but so much of that is about, I don't want others to see me. I don't want them to show up at my house and it be messy. I don't want mm. to drop the ball on something and then be like, well, you know, Kate didn't show up. So those perfectionist tendencies come more of a, out of an image motivation than anything else. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like she's diagnosing us as we talk. Do you see it in her face? No. She's thinking. You can yeah, see girl. the wheels turning. They're I'm turning. definitely thinking. I'm not diagnosing anybody, though. And see, I'm excited to be diagnosed. Somebody diagnosed me. That sounds fun. <laughs> okay. You have done a total 180 because, like, three days ago, you were like, quit telling me what number I am. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. And Christina, after Rebecca read your book, she was like, I'm all of these. I'm can all I, of them. Can I identify with all of these? I'm oh, all yeah, mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's definitely a common, as a side note, a common struggle for certain Enneagram numbers I found when they do relate to all nine. And I find that specifically for twos, threes, and nines, they tend to relate a lot to all of the numbers because kind of like you're saying those numbers, whether because they're motivated by image or because they're motivated by wanting to be irreplaceable or wanting to be wanting to alleviate conflict of any kind, they take on the different roles of all the personalities to where I they do get lost and maybe get buried. So it is, that's why I always have been, even in my own journey have been very public about how long it's taken me to find my number, even as someone who's written a book about it. It's like, if you want it to have the actual effect in your life where it could bring a lot of healthy change, like you have to take your time with it and not, I don't know. Yeah. It kind of shocked me that you're still out here figuring it out because when I read your book, I thought, for sure you were a three, just based on the way I you... thought I was a three when I was writing the book. So that comes across <gasps> Kate, very you could be a six. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I realized for me personally, my three tendencies tend to show up very heavily when I'm under stress and under severe stress and sixes gravitate towards threes and stress where all of a sudden it becomes more about my image. I become more competitive when I feel like I'm grasping with no internal resources that's like how I I kind of turn myself off and I am like I'm the achiever hooray um and yeah so that's how I which also means I definitely was in a pretty I was in a state of stress when I wrote this book for sure yeah um and I was coming out of a state of stress um so I but yeah that's one of the things that led me to really thinking I was a six is after really thinking about, well, am I really motivated by X, Y, Z that a three is motivated by? And I was like, I don't think I am, but I see myself going there whenever I'm like grasping for anything to keep moving forward. That's so helpful. It's so interesting. Yes. All right, mamas, that is part one of our conversation on the Enneagram with Christina Wilcox. Join us next time as we continue our deep dive into what self-care looks like based on your Enneagram type. 
One easy way you can help another mama is by sharing this podcast with her. If you have laughed, been encouraged, and gotten help here, would you take a moment to share this podcast on your socials? Text the link to a friend and leave a rating and review. Thanks for your help in getting the word out to mamas about this space we've created just for them.